Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Today is the last part of, of our, uh, Christmas, our short Christmas series called Undaunted, um, where we're just talking about the story of God's rescue, the story of God's grace, and God's undaunted, meaning he wasn't going to relent, he wasn't going to give up, he wasn't going to change his mind, his undaunted plan and promise to rescue and to save and to do what he said he was going to do for the entire human race. Now, here's a question I want to talk about um, before we dive into the scriptures today and where I want to go, and that is just kind of this dynamic if you're a parent, and most of you understand this, but I wish a lot of times my kids understood, like, how I felt about them. Like, I tell them a lot, my wife tells them a lot, but I mean to the extent that a lot of times I feel like my kids, and and if you have kids, you'll relate to this, I I feel like they think I sit up at night trying to find ways to make their life miserable. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I wish that they just knew it doesn't work that way. Like, I'm not trying to make their life more difficult. I'm not trying to suppress all of their happiness. And so, like, anytime I tell them to do something, it's out of this thing of, hey, dude, I love you. Just pay attention to me. Like, when I tell you to not stick your head in the banister, it's because I don't want you to get stuck there. Or when I tell you to not stick your medicine up your nose, it's because it's going to end badly for you, Braxton. And so, like, literally those are stories from the Golden Household. And I don't know if, like, you're probably a better parent than me. I don't handle it well when I've already told them something and then they do it. So my compassion in the moment's not great. So I'm, like, literally I'm, I'm kneeling down to Ryder while his head is stuck in the banister going, dude, this is why I told you not to do this. Like, this is what was going to happen. You were going to get your head stuck in a banister, and I don't know how we're going to get it out without me sawing, like, this thing off of here, or, like, me to Braxton going, okay, this is what, this is what you get for putting stuff up your nose. Like, I'm just not real compassionate that moment. But my point is just this. I wish my kids understood, like, I love you. I want the best for you. And if you would just understand that, here's the thing that would happen. You would trust me. If you knew that I was after your ultimate good and I love you, you would trust me. Now, it may be in a, a totally different extent, but I think there's a dynamic that, that parallels. God's had the same dilemma with us. And think about this. How does invisible, intangible God communicate to the human race that oftentimes doesn't believe them? I'm for you. I love you. Like, how does a God in a world that's turned inward and turned their back on God How does God communicate that? How does God somehow articulate that to the point that we are going to believe it? Like, how does God do that? And the answer to that question is the epic narrative that is Christmas. And I'm telling you, the reason that it's so huge and intersects with your life, just the way the story unfolds is because sometimes your bigger questions are not, God, like I'm going through what seems like hell right now. 
everything's hitting the fan. And yes, we wanna know why, but sometimes the bigger question is, why do I feel like God's not with me in this? And if I could just get an answer to that question, even if I don't know why in terms of the circumstance, it would make it easier for me to trust. Or sometimes it's not even so much the relationships that's falling apart, it's this idea that we just feel like God is disinterested in our life. It's not even always that the dream is dying, it's the fact that God seems so inactive. Like sometimes there's bigger questions that even if you didn't understand what God was doing in the moment, if you could just kind of know in regard to those things, like how you feel in terms of God's presence and God's activity, it would almost be enough. And the thing is, the epic narrative of Christmas, if you really understand the backstory, it, it really does answer a lot of those questions, even if you're in a circumstance right now where God seems so far away. So last week we talked about the fact that God comes and and he goes on this epic rescue mission after sin enters the world. And he comes to a guy by the name of Abraham and, and says, hey, listen, Abraham, I'm going to choose you to become a nation. And he's 75 years old at the time. Abraham's like, I don't think it's going to happen. And God's like, it's going to happen. And God makes this, this honestly unbelievable, incoherent, because it didn't make sense in culture, and, and what seemed like impossible promise to Abraham, that I'm going to make you a nation that's ultimately going to become a kingdom. And through that kingdom, God's going to bless through you, Abraham, through your descendants, the entire world. And there's going to be a Messiah that comes through your line, and it's going to change all of human history. But I'm telling you, when the promise was made to Abraham, it was impossible. It made no sense. And through many, many generations, it seemed like it couldn't happen. When Israel was a slave nation, when God seemed silent for 400 years, when none of the prophets were speaking, everybody had given up hope. And then God moved. And Paul, one of the guys in the New Testament that wrote, like close to two-thirds of the New Testament. He comes along and he begins to articulate this whole story in kind of language that we understood so that we would understand the weight of all that God did. And what's so interesting about Paul, he was Saul, his name was changed to Paul, and you should consider this if you're a skeptic. Dude tried to stomp out Christianity, tried to kill Christians, tried to stop the whole movement known as the way in the first century, and then he becomes one. Like you have to figure out how did that happen? Paul, highly educated, basically an executive in this opposing movement, switches sides and becomes a follower of Jesus. And the moment Paul does that, he starts to see everything different. He sees the Old Testament different. He, he now sees the Jewish scriptures as they were known then as this kind of cocoon or catalyst for all that God was going to do in history through the person of Jesus. That the Old Testament basically was just a get ready because God's about to do something and it's going to be different and it's going to be unique and it's going to change everything. And the temple system is no longer going to be needed because there's going to be the offer of personal relationship with Jesus. And so Paul sits down to write about it. And here's what he says. He writes basically what was a letter to these people in, a, in an area called Galatia in the first century. And he starts with these words, and we looked at this first sentence last week. But here's how Paul describes it, and it's so powerful. He says this. This is the Christmas story. That when the set time had fully come, meaning when God, as we looked at last week, had everything just the way he wanted it. When God waited till just the point in history where he knew he could get the world's attention. When the Roman Empire had expanded 
and there was now a transferable language and culture that could kind of put everybody on the same page where suddenly God waited to where there was a seaport system and there was a highway system and now all the major population hubs were connected when there was peace between civilized, conquered nations, when everything was just right and God had a mechanism to get the world's attention, when the set time was just right, literally when the temple system was about to go under because everybody was disheartened with all they saw in regard to religion. Honestly, the way you might feel today where a lot of people feel in our culture because all of a sudden, compassion had been replaced by, by money and trying to acquire wealth among religious people, that all of a sudden corruption had replaced what God said was to be the most important thing in culture. Suddenly the temple system was so corrupt and so far gone and everybody was so disillusioned. When God had everything just right culturally and religiously and people were wanting something different. Paul says, when the set time was just right, when God had things just the way he wanted them. He sent his son. That literally when he got to the place in history where he knew that what he was about to do would not be forgotten. That it wouldn't slip through the cracks of history and it would be at just the point in history where it would be documented, where eyewitnesses would see it happen and the world would never forget about it. But here's the question. And this might be simple to some of us, but for a lot of us, this is a complex question that honestly, maybe in your church background, you haven't wanted to explore too much because you felt like you couldn't doubt, you couldn't question. But the big question is this, why did God have to send somebody? Like, why did God have to, maybe the, the better question is, why did God have to come in a human body? Why couldn't God just send a messenger? Like, I know we, we don't feel and liberty to say this in church a lot of times, but a lot of the scripture is just weird, man. A lot of the, the Christmas narrative is weird. The way it goes down, if you're really honest with yourself sometimes and you feel like you have the freedom to do it, you'd stop and go, I, like, I wish God would have maybe chosen a different way because it would have been more believable. Why did God have to do it this way? Why did God have to send somebody this way? And then it gets more complicated. When the set time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, meaning, okay, not why did God just have to come in a body? Why did God have to come in a baby body? Why did God show up as eight pounds, seven ounce, or whatever, baby Jesus? Like, why, why did it have to happen that way? And he didn't come as like a law unto himself or circumventing the law the way most kings and emperors did. He literally came into culture and he submitted himself under the laws of that culture. Like, why did God have to set it up this way? And then as Paul's looking back and as he's writing all of this and trying to put it in street language that we understand, he says, listen, not only did God come at just the right time, God came with a purpose. And he says that when, when everything was just right and when God sent his son who was born of a woman, born under the law, he did it too, or in order that. Let's just pause for a second. Why did God have to send Jesus? Like, like why, why the, the narrative of Christmas, the way the narrative of Christmas goes down? And listen, I know a lot of us, like, we, we submit to the, yes, the Jesus thing, and I believe the story, and I even believe the, what if we're honest, the, the weirdness of the virgin birth, and I don't understand it, but I, I believe that God did it this way. But there's genuine questions of, of why, though. Like, why did it have to be Jesus? Why did the narrative have to unfold this way? And the reality is this. God had to do something that, that the law could not do. 
God had to do something that the judges in the Old Testament would never be able to do. God had to do something that prophets couldn't do. God had to do something that punishment was not gonna be able to do. God had to do something that sacred texts would not even be able to do. Because reality is at Christmas, God wanting, wanted to do something personal and God wanted to do something relational and a message or a messenger would not get it done. And so when things were just right, when God had the world at the point that the world wanted and the world was going, well, why couldn't you have done this sooner? Because we've waited for hundreds of years for this promise while you've been silent and your people at certain points have been oppressed. But God's going, but when things were just right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then this is, this is it. This is the epicenter to redeem, to renew, to bring back those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons and as daughters of God. Like the reality is this, like, and, and I know you know this, a lot of you at some level, but I want you to go with me for a second. God wanted to do something more than move nations and tribes. God wanted to do something that would move individual people into relationship with him. And at Christmas, God's going, I'm going to take a first step to remove every obstacle to you having a relationship with me. Listen, this is, this is the blueprint for our church. This is why we talk a lot about our mission to tear away every unnecessary barrier to people having a relationship with Jesus because there's a lot of barriers that get in the way that have nothing to do with the heart of the message where Jesus said, listen, when I came to planet earth, I made it as easy as possible. I tried to remove every barrier possible to you having a relationship with me. Your sin, the barrier of your shame, the barrier of your guilt, the barrier of the things that you did on that business trip, the barrier of the things that you cannot run from mentally. I removed every obstacle to you having a relationship with me so that the only thing that you had to do was say yes. And listen, that should be the heartbeat of every local church. That should be our marching orders as we show up with thousands of people on Christmas Eve and as we invite friends and neighbors, hey, we are gonna do everything possible to make it easy and to tear away every barrier and every obstacle that should be out of the way so that the only thing that you have to do is not worry about what you dress and how you talk and some law that you can't really submit to or annoying religious leaders. We wanna make it as easy and accessible and welcoming as possible so all you you have to do is say yes to Jesus because that's what Jesus has done for us through the narrative of Christmas. I've removed every obstacle. I just want you to say yes to me. And my message is personal. So I had to come in person. Like think about this. How would you know where you stood with God if God had not come to stand with you? How would we know where we stood with God if God had not come to stand with us. And listen, this relates not just to your salvation or receiving forgiveness because of what Jesus has done in history, but it's even in regard to your circumstances right now because this is the thing that answers the question that even when our circumstances don't match up and we don't know what God's doing and we don't understand it, God has already come to stand with us so that when your circumstances are hell and you don't see God active and God seems silent or disinterested, God has already proven in history, I have come to stand with you, I am with you. I am for you. And you may not see me right now. 
And you may not hear from me right now. And I might seem disinterested or inactive right now. But this is how the world knows I'm for you. Even when you don't feel it. Just like for 400 years the Israelites did not feel it. I came to stand with you. To be with you. To be for you. And if God hadn't come to stand with you. You wouldn't know where you stood with God. Because another messenger or another prophet or another miracle. Wasn't going to get it done. So at just the right time, God staged a demonstration. Because you know, I mean, you know this in your own relationships, you know this in any area of your, your life, that, that actions speak louder than words, even words that are written on a page. And so at just the right time, God staged a demonstration for the world that could be documented. And there was the promise to Abraham that eventually after Abraham, there would be a Messiah that would come and he would be born in this little town of Bethlehem. Literally had been prophesied hundreds of years before. And so when God was ready, he staged the demonstration that could be documented. I don't know how it went down, but the baby had to be born in Bethlehem. And so God whispers into the ear of the most powerful man in the world, Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is prompted to issue a decree or a census that would send everybody to the area of their, their birth. And so Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem because of that census. And Herod the Great, unbeknownst to him, arranges the most epic event in the history of all the world. And listen, at that moment in history, as Mary and Joseph roll into Bethlehem to have this baby, Herod is the most powerful man in the world. Herod is known as Herod the Great. And there is Herod the Great, who is trying to build a legacy where he would be known for all of history. And lo and behold, 2,000 years later, we know the name Herod the Great. But it's so crazy. The only reason that you know the name Herod the Great is because he would become a footnote to the Christmas story of a Jewish carpenter born in Bethlehem 2,000 years later that would be the fulfillment of that promise all the way back to Abraham. Come on, think about this. That literally 4,000 years ago, God came to Abraham to go, I'm gonna bless the world through you. There's gonna be a Messiah through you. And then 2,000 years after that, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And then 2,000 years after that, we are still talking about him. And his name is dominating the globe. And the most powerful man in the world is only known as it is a footnote to this Jewish carpenter that didn't go more than 30 miles from his home and never wrote a book. And here we are today, and he is a household name. How did that happen? How did that take place? Think of all of the history that's taken place since then. I mean, you can. You, you, don't, you don't even know most of the history. All that's been forgotten, all that got lost, all that we don't even remember. And 2,000 years later and 4,000 years after the promise, a Jewish baby that was born in the ghetto of Rome becomes a household name that's dominating the globe in every culture, every language, and across every socioeconomic status. Because when the set time was just right, God sent his son Jesus, who was born of a woman. It's so weird if you don't really know the backstory of why Jesus did it, born under the law to redeem everybody under the law so that we might receive the adoption to sonship. And so Paul, as he's writing this later on, he would write another letter to these, these Christians in Rome under Nero who were suffering big time. For their faith. And I'm sure during that time there were some questions about God, where are you at? 
And God, we're trying to be faithful. And here we are in Rome being persecuted for what we believe. And you don't seem to be anywhere around. And then, and then Paul writes this to that group of people in Romans 5, 8. But God, hey, I know it's difficult, but just I want you guys to know, Paul would say, but God already demonstrated. God demonstrated He showed us, he proved it, his love for us. This is what the prophets hinted at. This is what the text foretold, that God demonstrated his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ, and I gotta think that as Paul's writing this, it gets so personal. Christ died for us. And Paul, as he's writing, it is so personal because he uses the present tense that that while we were still sinners, meaning Paul's thinking about his rap sheet, which I guarantee beats yours, and he's thinking about how personal this is because Paul tried to literally stamp out Christianity. He tried to kill Christians. He tried to stop the movement. He would roll into cities, and then when he would leave, there would be wives that didn't have husbands. There would be kids that didn't have fathers. And Paul dealt with the reality of that for the rest of his life. And so he's writing this. He's going, God already demonstrated his love for me. And I was the one that deserved his love the least. But when I was at my worst, when I was still sinning, when I was still in the middle of this, where I would literally wreck homes and wreck families, at my very worst and at my very darkest, God died for Me, and Paul's going, it's unbelievable. God has already demonstrated in history for the worst sinners imaginable that he's for us. That literally, I'd say it this way. God came to demonstrate that he was for us before we even had the opportunity to decide if we were for him. Jesus is going, I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna demonstrate my love for you even if you want nothing to do with me and even if you don't love me yet. And at your worst, because I knew it all, the moment I went to the cross and gave up my life for you, I died for you at your worst. And here's why this is a big deal. Here's like the weight behind all of this. And it's just this, that God is the author of life. And God is the author of your life. God's the author of, and life is complicated, right? Like there's so much we don't understand. Your cells are smarter than your brain. For hundreds of years, we didn't understand what germs were. There is so much complexity. There's so much we don't understand about life, but God is the author of life. And God is the author of our life. And the reality is this, that to dishonor the author of life is an expression of ingratitude, deserving the forfeiture of life. That literally, it's why every day we should just get up and go, God, yes. Like whatever you want from my life, I don't understand it. I don't know why you would ask me to do this. I don't know why I should stay in this marriage. I don't know why I should handle sexuality this way. Nobody else in culture is being this generous. I don't know why I should give my time to this. But God, whatever you're asking me to do, you hold my destiny and my will in your hands. And you hold my life in your hands. So I surrender everything to you. And yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? We... We didn't choose when we were going to be born. Most of us are not going to choose when we die. But, but somehow in between our birth and death, we shake our fist at God. And God's going, I am the author of life. And you owe a debt to the author of life that you could not pay, that I could not pay, that we cannot pay. We owe our very lives. But God demonstrated His love for us, 
in that while we were still at our worst, think of your worst moment. God knew about it. God was there. God was dying for that, that at your darkest, while you were still sinning, while you were still giving figuratively God the finger, while you wanted nothing to do with God, God died for you. And Paul's like, it's unbelievable. And it's just after Jesus died and, and was rose from the grave and, and people saw him alive, his followers before this were, were cowards, they were running, they, like, they were afraid out of their mind. And all of a sudden in Acts, which is like the history of the church right after Jesus rose, you see all these guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were scared out of their minds. And all of a sudden, after Jesus rises from the grave, they go into the streets of Jerusalem, they scatter everywhere into the very city that literally had Jesus arrested and had Jesus crucified. And these same cowards become emboldened and they start preaching in the city at the very people who had Jesus killed, who could ultimately have them killed. And they began to proclaim everything that happened. And in Acts, it says this, Acts 13, 14, they say, kind of in your face, to the very guys who were there weeks before and had Jesus killed, these guys say this, Peter, Andrew, James, all the guys, you disowned the holy and righteous one. And you ask that a murderer be released to you. Literally, guys, look at me. I see, I see you. You were there a few weeks ago. Pilate offered Jesus back. And you guys decided, because you're so corrupt, to take the life of the author of life. Can you imagine, like to these very guys who killed Jesus, verse 15, they say, hey, you guys, you killed the author of life. And listen, there's one reason why these guys are so bold after, before Easter weekend, being so cowardly, running, cowering to schoolgirls in courtyards, that they're bold for this reason. When your leader comes back from the dead, you have nothing to fear. And so they say, you guys, you killed him. Implication, God allowed you. Jesus gave away his life because you cannot take away the life of the author of life. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead and we, we saw it. We were there, we were eyewitnesses. We literally had breakfast with Jesus on the beach after he was crucified and died. We saw it happen, we're witnesses to it. Literally, God sent a baby to grow up to do what you couldn't do. And, and here's what is so powerful about the Christmas story is that, that God in coming, his willingness to come and his willingness to die demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude. But it also demonstrated the magnitude of his great love. Listen, I know you know this already, but for some of us, this is actually like the roadblock in some of our relationships right now because there's a lot of noise and we're talking about what we want to do and what we want to be and the kind of husband, the kind of wife. And yet here's the reality of every great relationship. And this may be the obstacle for you, but you cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. You cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. This is true in your marriage. This is true with your kids. This is true in relationship with God. You cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. Love must be shown to be known. 
love must be demonstrated to be authenticated. You can talk about it all day long. You can say whatever you want to say until I see it, until I know the level of your sacrifice. I don't really know the level of your love. And so the message of Christmas really is this question. How does God who claims to love the world demonstrate it? How does he get that message across? How does he communicate it in such a way that people will understand? And I'm telling you, the only way that he could do it was to come and to make a sacrifice that you would know about because you cannot have great love without great sacrifice. And God came. God came in the form of Jesus and demonstrated his great love for you through a great and necessary sacrifice. See, very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Like you might give up your life for somebody who feel like you feel like is worthy of that. You're close to you. Like you might do it. But God, <laughs> but God, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were at our worst, Christ died for us. The message of Christmas is that God staged a demonstration in history that could be documented. God staged a demonstration of his love for this rebel race. Otherwise, we would have never known about it. And so when things were just right, when God had everything just the way he wanted it, where Rome had set the stage where there was a temple system that was in shambles and even though people had waited for hundreds of years and God seemed silent and God seemed active when God had everything just the way he wanted it. A Jewish carpenter discovered that his fiance was pregnant and an angel spoke to Joseph and said these words that maybe you're really familiar with in Matthew 120 and Matthew writes it down. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, it's happening. The set time is here. And she's going to give birth to a son. And you're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place. To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him. And maybe this is what you're here for. Maybe this is what you need to hear. Maybe this is what you need reminded of. And they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Because God staged a demonstration that could be documented so that you would know that God was with you. Because God was for you whether you had the opportunity or decision to decide whether you were for God. And God loved you and demonstrated his love before you even had an opportunity to love him. And God was active doing what you needed before you even knew you needed it. And when you didn't know about God, God was for you and God was demonstrating his love. And now that you're at a place where you do want to know where God is at and God seems far away, God is still with you because God has demonstrated something in history so that you could know that he is for you. And so no matter what hell you're walking through, 
through the relationship breakup. You can't get pregnant. You lost somebody this last year and you are enduring this season and there is real pain and there is real heartbreak. And sometimes you wonder, God, where you are at. This is the message of Christmas. I demonstrated something in history so that you could know I'm for you. Even when you don't see it and you don't understand and you don't see me. See, it's why God needed to do something in history because we needed to see it to believe it. And he had to be with us in order for us to know that he's for us. And so come on, what what if that's true? What if God has demonstrated something in history that's been documented, preserved, people gave their lives for it, and against all odds, and if you're a skeptic, you should just consider this. Here we are, 4,000 years after the promise to Abraham and 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus. And you can love Jesus, hate Jesus, you can be indifferent to Jesus. You cannot ignore Jesus. His message is dominating the world. So if it's true, what does it mean? It means that You're in a place right now where you're tempted to let go and and you're tempted to judge God's activity and God's love and, and, and God's certainty and God's interest based on your circumstances. It means because what God has done through the message of Christmas, you do not have to let go of faith. You do not have to walk away. That you can move forward with your unanswered questions and with your grappling, and with your not understanding, and you can maintain faith that God has already done something history to know that right now, maybe in the midst of a really hard time, God has proven, I'm for you. And for the rest of maybe us who've never placed our faith and trust in Jesus, it means this, that that what Jesus did after coming and being born in in a manger, which was to die on the cross for all of our sin, past, present, and future, and walk out of a grave alive. It means that if he really rose from the grave, it validated everything that he said, and it means that he really did remove every obstacle that is keeping you from being able to say yes to Jesus and be forgiven and have a relationship with the God of the universe. Every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, every bit of inconsistency, every bit of unfaithfulness at your worst. On the cross, Jesus said, I'm dying for all of it. And the moment you're willing to just trust me and stop trusting that what you did causes you to be too far gone or what you could do somehow is gonna make up for your past and you just fully and completely trust what Jesus has done for you, the scripture says, you will be saved. Because God, at just the right time, staged a demonstration in history that could be documented and it's changed the world. And so both campuses, would you just stand with me right now and just out of respect for people around you, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I cannot end a message like this without giving specifically those individuals who've never placed their faith and trust in Christ the opportunity because maybe you're in a seat right now going, it's true. I believe it's true. I believe that God did this. And so I just wanna invite you to say yes to Jesus right now and enter into relationship with him, whether you're via radio or podcast, or right now you're, you're physically sitting in a seat at one of our campuses, and you can just pray this prayer after me, and the prayer doesn't save you. But the prayer is your declaration that I am trusting Jesus. So right where you're at, you can just pray this after me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for all my sin. 
And I believe that three days later, you rose again. And right now, I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save me. Amen. And wherever you're at, the moment you decide to say yes to Jesus, that declaration of trust, the scripture says you become a son and you become a daughter of God. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. As we start the new year, we have this class you may not even know about called Starting Point, which is a class for people where they're brand new to faith. And so look for details as we start um, later in January to get involved in that class. And here's what I'd love you to do. There's a card right in front of you that says, I have decided. And if you would just fill that card out and take it um, to the back, take it to Connect Point, take it to the after party. You don't even have to talk to anybody, but give them that card. They want to give you a Bible with some information about this new journey because we don't want you to just make a decision in a moment. We want you to help. We want to help you know how to take the next steps in your faith journey. So all over the house, I want to pray one more time for those people who just trusted Christ Jesus. I thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, for those today who've placed their faith and trust in you and all of heaven celebrates. And so God moved to lead us wherever we're at, whether this is our first step toward a journey with you or those of us who followed you all our life, give us courage to know what you're asking us to do. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.